chapter 9 as our children make their way out to Children's Church, ETC. Um, let me say, if you're here this morning, I forgot this during the welcome, if you're here this morning, you're a first-time guest, would you take just a moment fill out the information on this card at the end of the service, if you will, come to the main hallway as uh, you're going out uh, the main door and meet me in the welcome center, last door on your left. I'd like to give you a gift on behalf of our church. And Darren, let me say that extra beat there in victory in Jesus, I'm out of breath. Man. <laughs> we may have a short sermon this morning. All God's people said, Amen. All right. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Let's honor God by standing for the reading of his word, please. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can't, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be led by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been really strong in situations for a good number, of, for, for a long while, and then all of a sudden you give in to a weakness and you just feel horrible about it? I told you a story a, couple, uh, uh, a while back. We were on a mission trip in Nicaragua in July of 2017, and I had to climb the side of a hill that was a, on a dormant volcano. Make a long story short, I got to the top of that volcano or, or the place where they had for us to be and my lungs had closed together and I, as I bent over gasping for air, I told the Lord at that moment, I said, if you let me live to get home, when I get home, I will start exercising 
and I'll lose some weight, and I won't be in this spot anymore. So that, I got home on July 29th that, that morning. I stepped on the scales, and I weighed 230 pounds. Monday of this week, I stepped on the scales, and I weighed 202.6 pounds. I don't. Let me get to the week part first before you start clapping. Now, I have eat everything you can eat grilled. I've eat grilled fish, grilled chicken, grilled possum. I've eat everything that you can grill, I've grilled it. I've grilled every vegetable you can know to man. I use olive oil. I use, I, I mean, I'm just, uh, uh, it, it's just, it's been Friday. It was catfish day. And I went in the store, and I knew it was catfish day. And I said to myself, self, wait till 1 o'clock when, when they run out of catfish. Don't go in there. Don't do this to yourself. But I did. I went at 11.30. And it got me. It grabbed me. Grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me up there to the deli window, and I said, I want catfish and hush puppies. And they, though they obliged, and they get, you want some tartar sauce? I said, no, that'll kill you. Just give me the fried catfish. And I got that taste of that fried catfish in my mouth, and in my, it got in my soul. And that, that Friday evening, the radio crew that does the football games, we meet at Jack's on Friday afternoon, and we go over the, we go over the game, and we go over our notes, and we coordinate everything. And when I walked into Jack's, at the very moment that I walked to the counter, they just happened to be throwing up about 300 pieces of fried chicken that had just come out of the fryer. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, my word. I had fried catfish for lunch. I can't do that. I've got to get grilled. i got to get that grilled chicken sandwich, and i got to go sit down. And I walked up to the counter, and the girl said, can I help you? And something inside of me said, I want a, fry, I want a chicken breast and a chicken leg, and mashed potatoes and gravy. Yesterday morning, I got on the scales, and I was in the scales said 207.8 pounds. So this week, we will be grilling everything. But my weakness, my weakness got me, and my weakness taught me that I can't give in. I've got to do better, and I need to do better. And my weakness taught me that I can do well for a long time, Time and I can't get complacent in doing well. I can't get complacent in it. I, if I'm going to be successful in anything, whether it be physically, mentally, or spiritually, I have to make a commitment and I have to be intentional every single day to do what it is that I have to do. Now, we want to look at this, this great biblical account here this morning in Mark chapter 9, and I want to bring out three things that our weaknesses teach us. Spiritually, we're going to run into situations sometimes fail, and we are going to sometimes fail spiritually. But I want to bring out three things this morning that I want to be a help to us as we go through this. First of all, I want it to, when our weaknesses happen, we need to know that we will always need Jesus. We will always need Jesus. It has there been a moment since you became a Christian, since you repented of your sins and asked for forgiveness and began to follow Jesus, has there been a moment since that you didn't need Jesus? Five minutes away from Jesus and I would be an absolute horrible wreck because I was before I knew Jesus. So I know that every single day of my life, I am not going to make it without Jesus. 
I need to remind myself every morning when I wake up of Jesus' words in John 15, 5, when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, it is he that beareth much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Not you can do a few things or you can accomplish this or that, but Jesus said in this relationship, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this story that we read this morning takes, takes place on the hills of one of the greatest mountaintop experiences that any three people ever were a part of. Then we see the transfiguration earlier here in chapter 9. We see Jesus going up on a mountaintop and we see Peter, James, and John there with him. And we see Jesus transfigured and glorified as only he could be glorified. We see Moses and Elijah have come there and met with him. And they have ministered to him as he is about to begin his final march toward the crucifixion and the cross at Calvary. So Moses and Elijah have come to minister to him before this happens. Peter, James, and John get to see this, part of this experience, and it's, it has to be one of the greatest spiritual experiences that any human beings ever got to witness in seeing Jesus in the transfiguration. Now, we all need mountaintop experiences. How many of you, you have to have a vacation from time to time? You just have to get away. You have to go somewhere and recharge your batteries. You have, to, you have to get somewhere, and you have to leave work behind. You have to leave all those thoughts and all those things behind, and you've got to go somewhere. For some of you, it's sitting on a beach and just looking straight ahead at the ocean and listening to the waves roll in, and somehow that's therapeutic for you. My parents uh, go to the mountains three, four times a year. If you ever want to see my inheritance, go to Gatlinburg and look the Gatlinburg Inn. There's my inheritance. But when they come back, they're different people. They're just so wonderful and, and, and friendly and, and loving. And, and I, I know right then at that moment, I can send the boys out there and, and go ask your grandparents for some money. Uh, but we all need those moments in time where we recharge. We, know we need those spiritually also. We need times in our lives where we just pull away and we spend some time alone with Jesus. Just us. Jesus is our great example here. Jesus more times modeled for us this example. We see so many times when he just completely pulled away from everything, from the crowds and from the push and from all the, all the things that he was doing, he would pull away and he would go to a mountaintop and he would just spend time there alone with the Father. We need those times in our lives. If you're not taking those times in your life, I recommend to you that you find some time just to get away and be alone and recharge your spiritual batteries. But here's what I want you to also understand. God never intended for us to stay there. God never intended for us to just completely pull away and spend all our time alone uh, with Him. He intended for us to pull away after that and be down here. And be down here in our Jerusalem where he has called us to be. Be down here among the people that he has called us, the hurting and suffering people that he has called us to minister to. There are people all around us that are hurt by the sinful nature of this world. You don't have to look very far. 
You can look in your neighborhood. You can look in your family. You can look where you work. And you're going to find people who are hurt by the sinful nature of this world. Now the disciples make a hard error here. Jesus had pulled these 12 men aside at one point and he had sent them out two by two and he told them that you have power and authority in my name to go and to heal the sick and to cast out demons but it has to be in my name and it has to be done for the glory of God. The disciples had forgot that they had been sent to go in Jesus' name and it causes them great embarrassment. And one of the first things that we see here in needing Jesus is we need Jesus here in this world that we live in, in this day and time of the mob mentality. Have you noticed the mob mentality that we live in in this world? It's pointed out here in the scriptures. The scriptures say that there was a great crowd arguing with the disciples. Now there's nine disciples down here that are in an argument with these scribes and, and Pharisees. Now here in verse 14 we see that. I want to point this out. Here's what the devil wants to, wants to do. The devil wants to divide us. The devil wants to take any issue that he can, and he wants to divide the church over those issues. He wants to pull us apart. He wants to separate us. He doesn't want us to come in together in unity because when we come together in unity on issues, whatever those issues may be, the devil knows that the church is powerful and the church is prayerful and the devil knows that souls are going to be one as long as we're united. So the devil wants more than anything to divide Christians. Now we live in a climate socially where if you take a stand for righteousness, if you take a stand for God, you're going to be subjected to the mob mentality. And here's how the devil uses the mob. The devil uses the mob to slander and intimidate people, to, intimidate, to slander and intimidate God's people because he wants to keep us quiet. He wants to keep us quiet. It doesn't matter what the issue is. You'll see people take to uh, nowadays, whether it's nationally, denominationally, or locally, You'll see people take to the internet and they will, they will slander, they will, they, will, they will take your name and run you through the mud and they'll create groups of people who want to join in and pile in on it. And it's all in the name of keeping us quiet on any subject that may be sinful. Now, I want to say this. Wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. And it doesn't matter how popularized, socialized, glamorized, or legalized it becomes. It doesn't matter. Wrong is wrong and sin is sin. Black and white in the scriptures. And it doesn't matter if you are in the minority or if you're not on the popular side. It doesn't matter what it is. If you take a stand for the Lord, know that this is what's going to happen to you. Now, we see people who get absolutely passionate about issues. We see people who just spend, they will spend their time and money and effort and everything. They'll research these issues. They'll look at everything about this issue. They'll spend, they become consumed with these issues. And they will become angry and vitriolic towards you if you don't agree with them on the issue. 
Now, here's what I want to tell you as a Christian. Here's how to avoid being caught up in a mob mentality and being able to take a stand for the Lord and being able to stand and know that you're right when you take that stand. Here's how not to get caught up in a mob mentality. Look at the issue that you are so passionate about. Christian, look at the issue that you are so passionate about, that you're willing to get on social media and defend that issue and, and, and promote that issue. Ask yourself two questions. Number one, does this issue edify the body of Christ? Does this issue edify the body of Christ? Does this issue that I am so passionate about, does it help build up and strengthen my brothers in Christ at my church? Ask yourself that question. And if it doesn't, then you need to seriously rethink your position on that issue. And number two, ask yourself if the issue that you are so passionate about and you're willing to go to such great lengths to defend and promote, does that issue glorify God? Does that issue bring glory to God? And as a Christian, if you will evaluate every issue based on those two based on those two things, you will avoid yourself being caught up and being divisive and being a part of things that go with a mob mentality. So we need Jesus in this day where we're told to sit down and be quiet. We need Jesus because we're going to constantly be confronted with evil in this world. Look here at, at the verses in verses 17 and 18 that describe what the devil is doing to this young man. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They weren't able. Now Jesus goes on and asks the man what's happening here, and here's what he says. He says, um, he says, from childhood, it has often cast him into fire into, and into water to destroy him. Now, read those three words there, to destroy him. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that the devil comes for three reasons. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. Those are the three reasons that the devil roams this earth here today. Now, this young man that was brought to Jesus bears the scars of what has happened to him. If you've been thrown into fire, then you have serious burns on your body. And this young man probably had serious burns on his body. He bore the scars of what had happened to him, of what the devil had happened to him. Now, some of you are looking at me, and you're talking, you're looking in your head, and you're thinking, this is the 21st century. You shouldn't preach about demon possession. We're educated and scientific. I tell you what, next time Jess Jennings is here, stop and talk to Jess for about 30 minutes on what he's seen with demon possession around the world. It's real. It's real. It's evident. And Jesus here, he, the scriptures give us a great description here of the marks that this young man is going to bear because of what has happened to him. A demon has entered him, a devil has entered him, and it has ravaged his life. 
Now look at the ravages of sin in our world today. Can you look around you now and see the ravages of sin in our society today? The devil had entered this young man as a child. Let me tell you what the devil's greatest target is in this world today. The, devil's great, the gra- devil doesn't have that great of a target on me anymore. I'm old. I'm old and I'm pretty much settled. Now I say that and this afternoon he'll do everything he can to kick my legs out from under me. I shouldn't be that bold. I shouldn't be that bold, but I know what's going. I know there's a fight coming now. But here's what I want you to know: who the devil has a target on is our children and grandchildren. That's who he has a target on. And I'm going to tell you, he fights nastier and dirtier every single day than you could ever imagine. Because he wants to grip them when they're young, and he wants to keep them in the grip of that sin and in the grips of, of these things. He wants to keep them there for life. And he desperately wants to kill, steal, and destroy the next generation and kill the church and stop the movement of Christ in this world. That's where he's doing his greatest work. I have people tell me constantly, well, things aren't any different now than they were when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, yeah, they are. If you you want to be naive about anything, don't be naive about that. Things are much different than they were when you were a kid. The technology that our kids possess today allow them to live in a world that we, we, we basically have very little control over. And I'm telling you that these, these kids are faced with more and inundated with more in one day than I was in a month. And it's evident. Look at how the devil is raging in America today. Look at these couple of things that I want to look at the look at the drug epidemic that we face in this nation, the opioid crisis that we face. In 2016, this is the devil at work, 42,249 people died of opioid overdoses. That's 115 people every day who die from this. Eighty In 2016, 81,000 people in America used heroin for the first time. The opioid crisis in America is costing $785 billion every year. That's the devil at work. That's the devil at work, and he's at work trying to get our kids early on. One of the other ways that he does, one of the greatest markets that he has in targeting our children for addiction is through alcohol. And one of the reasons that this has happened is because the church has lowered its standard on the issue of alcohol. We're more worried about being accepted than we are about being exceptional. We're more worried about being accepted and looking like the world than we are about being exceptional on subject. Now here we go. The one here, listen to this. One and a half billion dollars spent on alcohol ads in the U.S. last year. Now social media target, social media advertising specifically is targeting our teenagers. A journal of studies on alcohol and drug studies showed this, that 13 through 20-year-olds who watched any of the 20 most popular non-sports TV shows and the 61 alcohol brands that were showcased in the commercials during these shows, those who didn't see alcohol ads drank about 14 drinks a month. Those who saw the ads drank 33 drinks a month. You telling me that, that, 
that, that they're not targeting our kids, that their target is not our youth, that they're not trying to get them early and get them into an addictive lifestyle because that's the devil's goal. Now look at the effects on the nation that we live in. 40% of alcohol users report binge drinking each month. Teens who begin drinking are seven times more likely to be in a drunk driving accident. There are 15 million people in the United States struggling with alcohol addiction, and less than 8% of those people receive treatment. Men who drink are much more likely than women to commit suicide. Now, 40% of college students report binge drinking every month. And for years, here's what people have told me. They've told me, well, there's great health benefits in using alcohol. Just in the last two months, the AMA has come out and said there are absolutely no health benefits in the use of alcohol. Now, we've always heard that. But here's the health benefits that our children can look forward to if they decide to become drinkers. High blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, liver disease, learning and memory problems, including dementia, and more likely to suffer from depression and anxiety. Well, now y'all are all looking at me like, this is 2018, and here you are preaching on something that we stopped preaching about in about 1950. Well, bless God, we shouldn't have. No, we shouldn't have. And here's what I'm told. I'm told, and, and the Bible backs this up, we have liberty. We have liberty as Christians to make decisions. We have liberty as Christians to decide on these issues. But let me tell you what Paul told the Galatians. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't give yourself over to something that may take hold of you and take control of you and you can't get away from. Now, I'm telling you the truth as I know it. I'm telling you the truth from my life. I'm telling you the truth from my experience. I'm telling you that some of our kids are predisposed genetically to addiction. And I'm telling you that if we're promoting it and we're saying this is good and this is fine and this is all right, we're basically saying to our kids, pick up a, pick up a pair of dice and roll it. You may, you may take that first drink and be an addict. You may not. You may, but you're, you're, you're gambling with it. Now, that's not popular. I'm one of probably the last four or five preachers this morning that would preach on that somewhere, but it needs to be said. And it needs to be heard, and we need to understand it. The target is our kids, and keeping our kids, is the evil of this world is targeting our children. So we're always going to need more Jesus because of these things that we face. And we're always going to need more faith. Now, how much faith do we need? How much faith do you need? Do you need a whole lot of faith? Do you need an abundance of faith? Do you need faith that is perfect? Jesus said in Matthew 17 and 20, he gives us a great example. He says that faith the size of a tiny mustard seed will do just fine. Faith the size of a tiny mustard seed will do just fine. He said, in fact, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can take this mountain and move it. I've had talks with a couple of young people here lately that were struggling with their faith. They had somewhere along the way they had lost faith. 
And I told them both, I said, just go back to where you were and have a conversation with God. Go back to where you were and cry out to God and speak to Him. Now, where is our faith directed? This, young, this man comes to on behalf of his son, and he says, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Please have compassion on us and help us. His conversation and his faith are directed straight to Jesus Christ. He looks straight to Jesus Christ and he says, You are where my faith is directed. I have heard of you. I have heard of your miracles. And I have come today because I want you to have compassion on this son of mine who is hurting and who is struggling and who's in need. Jesus, you're the only one that I can have and who can help me. His faith was directed straight to Jesus. Now, who is our faith dependent on? This man makes one of the most incredible statements that has ever been made in Scripture. Think about this statement that he makes. He says, I believe, but then what statement does he make? Help my what? Help my unbelief. I believe, but Jesus helped my unbelief. He says, I know the things that you have done. I know what people have said. I've heard testimony. But Lord, this is my situation. This is my son. This is my struggle. Lord, please help me with my unbelief. This is a great statement for these failed disciples to hear because they're caught up in a moment of disappointment. And they need to remember that Jesus Christ himself had commissioned them and had given them a directive and he had told them to go in his name. So it reshifts the disciples, these nine men, it puts their faith focus back on Jesus. So we see that we will always need... And here's the last... Always going to need more prayer. How many of you would turn down the prayers of everyone sitting around you? How many of you in your situation or whatever you struggle with sometimes, how many of you would turn down the prayers of everybody here this morning? I wouldn't. I hope that every single one of you pray for me every single day. Because I can tell you if there's, uh, I, I can tell you I need, I need more money, I need more groceries, I need more of this and I need more of that. But I don't need any of that near as much as I need more, more, more prayer. I need more prayer than, than, than you could ever imagine. Every single one of us sitting here will always need more and more prayer. We're going to fail as Christians from time to time. But when we do, this should be a great learning experience for us. This is a great learning experience for the disciples, as we'll see. They do some evaluation of their lives. There are times when we should pull away and go to Jesus and evaluate our lives through prayer. Now, I saw a high school football game in this, this, this Friday night. Two teams, Clay County and Mortimer, Jordan. Some of you coaches may have seen this, this play I'm about to talk about. At the end of the game, Mortimer, Jordan is about to kick a field goal to tie the game. Time is running out. Clay County, I hope nobody here has kids playing for Clay County. Clay County blocks the field goal as time is running out. 
and if they block that field goal, they run off the field with their arms raised celebrating. Well, one of the players from Mortimer Jordan looks down and sees the ball lying there, and he picks the ball up. You can see it on the film. He picks the ball up and runs across the goal line, and the ref does this. And Mortimer Jordan wins the game as the Clay County kids are over here celebrating. Now, when the reporter asked the kid from Mortimer Jordan what was going through your mind, the kid said, our coach said, always play until what? You hear the whistle blow. And I didn't hear no whistle. So I picked the ball up and I scored. Now, I can tell you, I, I know we got coaches here. We, I, I can tell you that Monday in film session, what are they going to go over in film session there at that school? Coach Smith? Yep. They're going to go over. They're going to go over field goals. They're going to go over. They're going to go over. Don't, don't stop until you hear a whistle blow. Don't celebrate until you hear a whistle blow and you hear a horn blow with it. Now, they're going to evaluate that. There are times in life where we get real caught up in things and we get real ahead of ourselves. And there are times where we make huge mistakes and errors as Christians. And there, those are times when we will sit down and we will feel dejected, we will feel hurt, we will feel all confused. But here's what we should do. First of all, we should question ourselves. Look at verse number 28, what the disciples asked Jesus. Why couldn't we cast it out? Why couldn't we cast it out? They asked Jesus directly. They don't sit in a group of nine and form a committee to look at it and say, why did this not happen? And meet several times in committee and talk about it and then do nothing about it. They went straight to Jesus and said, Jesus, why is it that we couldn't do this? They asked him directly about their weaknesses and failures because they didn't want this to happen to them again. They didn't want to be disappointed and dejected. And more than that, they did not want to let Jesus down again. We should go... And we should go and question ourselves. We should ask God directly. And then we should go to God in humility. Look at verse number 29. Jesus, they asked him this question. And Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, someone asked me before the service, what version of the Bible do you use? They were getting their phone ready to follow along with me. I used the English Standard Version. This is one place where the English Standard Version comes up short because I believe what Jesus, I believe Jesus went one step further and said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. There are times when we need to go the extra mile in our prayer life and we need to fast also. But more importantly, what the disciples learn here is that when we learn to go to God first, we are less likely to fail and have our weaknesses exposed. When we go to God first, when we lay our problems and our hurts and our worries and our needs and our desires before Him, when we lay the things that we're struggling with down before Him, we are less likely to have our weaknesses exposed 
And we are more likely to live a victorious life spiritually when we go to God first. Now, I challenged our uh, Wednesday night group this past week. I challenged them to begin to get three people on their hearts and to look at those three people and to take those people and look and, and ask God, what are the hurts? What are the needs? What are the desires of these three people? And God, give me a heart of compassion to pray for these three people that I will not only pray for them, but I will get involved in their situation and I will be a help to them in whatever they're struggling with. In January, I'm going to promote a ministry from the Alabama State Board of Mission called 5131 where we pray for five people, where we pray for three people who are lost, and where we invite five people to come to our Bible study, and where we learn one gospel presentation, and where we commit to witnessing and sharing our faith with one person. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to go ahead and be praying about that and asking God, because as Jesus said here, some things only happen through prayer. Some things only happen because we cry out to God and we petition God and we take the hurts of our, our fellow man and we take the hurts of our community and we take the hurts of our nation and we go before God and we beg God and sometimes we pray in agony over these things. So this morning... Jesus has given us, the scriptures have given us a wonderful example of how prayer is needed and necessary. And I want to ask you this morning to commit this morning to begin to pray in ways that you never have before. Begin to pray for God to open your eyes and heart spiritually to see the needs of those around you. And to especially pray for our youth, our children, your children, your grandchildren, some of you have great-grandchildren. You have no idea, you have no idea the stress and strain and the sin that is, that is basically forced on them every day of their life as they go through it. And they need our prayers, they need our protection, and they need, they need godly examples from us to look at and to be able to say there are people who are living for God and who are making a difference. I want to challenge you that in that this morning. And I want to challenge you here this morning. You have been, you've heard God's word. You have seen the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Jesus speaks to this boy, his life changes completely. He is no longer in the grips of this evil, but he is freed, and he is able to go and live his life, the rest of it, in peace through Jesus Christ. This morning, some of you are gripped in sin. Some of you are gripped in agony. Some of you are gripped in things that you think there's no hope in getting out of. Jesus Christ can loose you and free you from that bondage. Jesus Christ can hear your prayer this morning and make your life different. Jesus Christ can do this, and I can tell you, I know this firsthand experience because I know what he did in my life. I know what he did in my wife's life, and I know what he's done in numerous people sitting here this morning. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope, and Jesus is your only solution. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity while Darren comes to lead us 
in a time of invitation, a time of worship, a time of decision. I want to give you the opportunity where you are or where do you want to come here this morning and pray with me and see through Scripture to come and to know the freedom of living for Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be an example of baptism or you need to be an example of church membership. Whatever it is you need to do, now is the time to take care of that. But know this morning that Jesus did this over 2,000 years ago and Jesus doesn't have any less power than he did then. And he can free you from whatever it is that you're bound to. Would you stand, Father? I prayed this morning. I prayed that the Christians in this room would pray and that they would continue to pray for those here this morning who need to know life through Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would pull through your Holy Spirit that you would point people to the solution of Jesus, to salvation in Jesus, to the hope of Jesus, because he's all that we have at the end of this life. And Father, I pray that anyone who is struggling, anyone who is hurting, anyone who's living in bondage, that they would free themselves this morning through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray and I ask your blessings on this this morning. And I pray that Christians would come and fill these altars to pray for others. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.